You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The stats tell a story, but it's not a good enough story. The stats tell you that Dame Lillard last night was out of his mind and got no help. They tell you that he put up 55 points in a playoff loss, third only behind Donovan Mitchell against those same Nuggets and Michael Jordan versus the Celtics with 63 back in the day. They tell you that Dame had almost as many points as the team combined and had a whole lot more in the overtime, 17 in both overtimes. The rest of the Blazers, two points in those overtimes. They tell a story, but not as good of a story as if you actually watched that thriller of a game. So I hope you all had NBA TV. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and Dame is presented by whatever alien planet he hails from. Here's a little of what it sounded like last night. Inbounded Dame, has it in the center court circle. Down to seven. Dame in front of Porter. Crossover, three-pointer for the tie. Got it! With three seconds left. Portland Trailblazers are failing Dame Dame takes it across the timeline, defended by Shaq Harrison. Crosses over, spins around, steps back, fades for three. Got it! Ties it! 50 for Damian Lillard with 6.4 left in the overtime. At the end of the day, Dame is on your shoulders. What else do you need this man to do? Dame, can you just describe emotionally where, where you're at after this? Tough loss, man. We just do or die now, so... Yeah, uh, my tweets last night while watching were essentially just how unbelievable, how, how. Like, it was just, fits. it was an incredible game. The Nuggets come out on top, and they do deserve credit for hanging with Dame, despite his ability to hit from just damn near anywhere. But it just brought to light all the questions we have about Dame's loyalty to Portland and their inability to really put a team around him to be able to get past the hump they always seem to fall on. Let's start at a selfish spot here, Sarah. Of all the nights to have that many overtime. So, like, last uh, last night after Spain and Fitz, I go over to, to be part of Sports Nation, and that's on ESPN+. Plus. You can check it out in the mornings. But it tapes at night very, very late, and it, it's never an, an early evening when you're doing Sports Nation. So we're all sitting down, and we're watching, and it's like, okay, we just need to – let this game run its course, and when we have a good idea where it's going to head, we'll go ahead and, and start taping whatever we can tape for Sports Nation. And all of a sudden, you realize that this team that's down by 22 is just feverishly coming back. So I'm sitting there writing away, and I'm like, all right, there's our story of the game. That's going to be easy. And then I'll, we see what happens at the end, and you you have one of these rare moments, and especially in the last you know year and a half. It's rare to have a show staff together in a room anymore. It happens very rarely on campus. And then to see that moment where – it felt right. like every time he wasn't going to get the opportunity to make the type of shot he made, he did. There was a bad call at the end, a phantom call that didn't end up impacting the game. Like, we got every Well, it impacted it in the sense could. that it kept going when it probably shouldn't, but it didn't change who ended up coming out the on top of the game. Say, yeah. yeah. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, by the way, Rip City Radio is where you heard some of the calls from that game, and it was pretty funny. I think Kendrick Perkins said it was nice of LeBron and the Lakers to take the night off so we could all focus on the Nuggets Blazers game. Uh, and that is indeed what happened. The other game, holy cow, did the Lakers get toasted to the point where LeBron James is sitting on the bench down the stretch because there's no chance they're getting back in. And as you said, Fitz, despite all that extra time to think about what he might have to say about this performance, this is all he could come up with. 
I don't, I don't know. I mean, we got our ass kicked. I mean, it's just that simple. I mean, they got to whatever they wanted to get to in this game. And, uh, you know, we got to be better, obviously, if we want to force a game seven. So they pretty much just kicked our asses. I mean, it's nothing else really to say. I mean, Sarah, he was walking <laughs> off the court with 540 left to go in the game. It was just like, nah, I'm done. I'm out. I'm gone. And that was the best he could come up with. But I don't really, uh, for that portion of it, I mean, I, I can't imagine what else he can say because that was one of the most thorough butt whoopings we've not only ever seen LeBron take, but we've ever seen the Lakers take in that sort of a matchup. To see the Lakers just lay down and get rolled that hard was astonishing to me. And, and look, I said yesterday as we were leaving air, I said, you know what, I'm taking the Suns in this one. But I wasn't right about that game. I was right about you know the winner, but I wasn't right about the way it was going to go down. Nobody thought we'd get that sort of absolute dem- mm-hmm. demolition of the Lakers. Yeah, you and I both wanted to pick the Suns. I said I'm not allowed to because I had just declared that I was going to stop picking against LeBron, but that my gut was telling me to, but I wasn't going to. And, of course, that's how LeBron repays me, just like the Clippers. Every time I believe in you, you blow it, and every time I give up on you, you come back and redeem yourselves. I really don't know what to do. Uh, LeBron James getting a fair amount of criticism, and rightfully so, for Sometimes making the good play that wasn't the right play, not dominating and asserting himself in the way that's necessary when AD is out and the rest of your team hasn't proved themselves. And the rest of his team not proving themselves is why they got their butt whooped like that. Kendrick Perkins on the role players not showing up. Anthony Davis can't save them right now, okay? And here's why. I know everyone is talking about LeBron James should have been really aggressive last night, but Phoenix are doing their job defensively. They're loading up and they're saying, guess what? The others are going to have to beat us. I could count several times when LeBron James made the correct pass and guys were passing up shots or not knocking down shots. And then uh, defensively, where's Andre Drummond to protect the paint? You, this is where the Lakers are missing the White Howard. They took him for granted. And Lord knows, don't get me started on Dennis Schroeder, okay? Mr. I'm worth $100 million, okay? You got to show it. You can't lay a, a donut in a, in, a, in a game five when it matters the most. When the lights hit the ice, you don't come up to perform in the biggest moment. So right now I'm looking at this Phoenix Suns team, the role players, the young core, Cameron Payne, I mean Cameron Johnson, uh, Cameron Payne, Bridges, all these guys are playing with the ultimate confidence while the Lakers veterans are sitting there hanging a goose egg and not showing up to the point. Sarah, the, this this stats and info nugget, I think, really told the story about last night's game. Kentavious Caldwell-Pulp and Dennis Schroeder uh, finished 0 for 10 from the floor. Since starters became official in 1970, no pair of starting guards had ever gone 0 for 10 or worse in a postseason game. It was an all-time epic fail by the guard play in that game. And Fitz, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, were presented by Progressive Insurance. What this does is not only make this series tougher to win for a Lakers team that struggled not just from injuries, but, you know, the deficit that many of the teams that went deep into the bubble last year seemed to be facing fatigue and otherwise. Um But even if they were to pull off this series win, and that's a real question mark with this performance and Anthony Davis's injury, they look so fragile. They look so questionable in terms of being able to make their way through the rest of the West. It's the fragility that you say so. You said it perfectly that I think just has me sort of resigned that this isn't the year for for the Lakers. And, you know, you're right. The smart thing is never to bet against LeBron James. I can't bet 
for the rest of this roster, though. And that, that's what this comes right. down to. I mean, we knew that the Lakers were taking this chance. I've said it for weeks at this point. Coming into the season, if their guys are healthy, if their main two are healthy, they were going to be fine. Now what you get is no AD and a shell of LeBron that just absolutely looked like he was uh, outmanned from the get-go in this matchup. And frankly, Chris Paul, for all of his injuries, looked much better. Uh, yeah, so that's Suns- another factor, though, that we haven't mentioned. We'll see how much... Uh, he'll be able to give. He re-injured himself, and last time it took a couple days for him to be able to get back and be really useful. I don't what know what his latest. What was he in the game for, too? Like, they're Agreed. Like 30 Wondered the what same. What was he in the game for? Wondered the same. It's Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz. We have five, four, I can't count, four games tonight. Uh, we're going to get into those, but we had two big pieces of news in the hoops world coaching changes at the collegiate and NBA level. We'll talk about both of them next. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll go there in about 10 minutes to get some expertise on some of the big news today. But, Sarah, there was a, a, a couple of moments today where I looked at my phone and I said, huh? And the first came in the world of coaching news as we got the bomb today that, according to sources, Mike Krzyzewski, Duke's head coach, the winningest coach in Division One men's basketball history, uh, led the the Blue Devils to five natties in his 41 seasons, will be retiring after the 2021-2022 season, sources have confirmed. They've already picked associate head court, uh, coach John Shayer is going to become the next head coach at Duke. So they got like a whole coach-in-waiting system. So this will be a little bit of a retirement year for, for Coach K and also a chance for them to make sure that all the recruits know that there's a process and a plan in place and that they're going to try to be able to continue. But college basketball is going to change drastically by not having him on the sideline. Yeah, it's it's fascinating in a couple of ways. Usually coaches don't give you that I'm going to take one year victory lap. That's more of a player thing, right? Usually coaches come to a decision and, and are, are are out of there pretty quick. I mean, we just saw it in the WNBA with the Seattle Storm a couple games into the season. And he was like, ah, I think I'm good. Uh, so it's rare to get this kind of warning a whole season ahead. It's rare. Like you said, John Shire already set up. A guy who's coming out of that program is going to take over, gets another year uh, of 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 coaching alongside him and, and learning the ropes. Um, and it's just an institution. You think about him and Roy Williams stepping away, the fact that he's been coaching longer than I've been alive. And it's going to feel very different to see anybody else at the helm for Duke. But at the same time, it was starting to feel unique to see some of the monoliths and, and, and the old guard in a system that was radically changing, whether that's pressure from the G League to, to skip the one-and-done college and go straight to the pros, whether that's the changes that are likely to come with name, name image, and likeness, um, you know, some of the interactions on social media and, and with the press and, and, and adjusting to the changing ways that the sport is covered and criticized, all of that um, probably a part of the reason that a few of these long-timers are like, ah, I don't know if I need to learn this system all over again. It might be best to just call it a day. A thousand percent. Duke coming off uh, a rough season for Duke, to be real. Uh, Hopefully for Coach K's last season, he can put together something a little bit more representative of the success he's had. And I'll wait until tomorrow to reference the fact that UNLV beat Duke in a national championship game. It's just just there for me. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, If I thought that was big news, that was nothing compared to the coaching news we got 
in the NBA. And I, I got to be honest, we've talked on this show over the last few months about the Celtics and sort of where they are as an organization. Are they stuck? Do they need to rebuild their roster? Is there any danger for some of the people at higher levels within the organization? We got a quick answer to whether or not change is coming for the Celtics today. As they announced, surprisingly, Danny Ainge is retiring and Coach Brad Stevens is being promoted to president of basketball operations. So uh, he now gets the strange job of having to pick his own replacement to go in and as has been pointed out by several basketball experts Sarah it it seems strange for a coach that may have according to some some reports lost the locker room this year to find himself fired up essentially he now goes from coaching to having more of a hand in how the roster is being built so we'll see what that means moving forward but Danny Ainge stepping away from the game today in a surprising announcement yeah I actually a couple weeks ago and we're gonna have Jackie Mack on the show in just a little bit but she and I were both on Around the Horn, talking about during the play-in situation, you know, what is it going to look like for the Celtics if they don't advance out of the first round? And and I said I believe that both of these men would be out of a job. I don't think, you know, in a situation where no one's really thrown anyone else under the bus or been able to point fingers at anyone throughout this, we've heard from both Stevens and Ainge, you know, this is a group thing, we're all to blame. I felt like that was going to take them both out. And and not that one or the other should have blamed somebody specifically, whether that's players or front office or coaching, but just that in a situation like this where you can't pinpoint exactly who's at fault for, for the disappointments, um, sometimes a clean, flat, fresh slate is likely. So I'm, I'm surprised, not by Ainge stepping down, but by Stevens getting a different and new opportunity. There are certainly discussions of race to be had here, as many have pointed out all day that – when a black head coach is disappointing and and underperforms, uh, they don't tend to get promoted, right? Um, and a lot of questions about what exactly it is about Stevens that makes everyone think his success will change and be better going to the front office instead of the sideline. And as Ryan Windhorst today said on the jump, he hasn't gotten very many good answers as to why exactly they feel like he's the man for this job. I wasn't sure if we were throwing to that actual audio. Just throw, throw, no, throw behind I, the fourth uh, wall here. Uh, I was. I thought we lost you for a minute, but actually, while we're at it, let's hear from Brad Stevens. My number one thing is for the good of the Celtics. Um, I love the Celtics. I want to do what's best for the Celtics, and I really have enjoyed coaching. I loved coaching, and I've loved coaching the players both at Butler and here. At the same time, I think I've got a good idea. One of the benefits of, of moving into this new role is I've got a good idea of what we do and don't do well um, and what can accentuate um, some of our best players. And so there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work ahead. I mean, uh, obviously, there is a whole process uh, that we'll um, go through in, in searching for a new coach. That said, as, as Danny said, you know, we are in a good place. We have... Um, a lot of really positive things. And, you know, it's our job to capitalize on that. I mean, at this point, Sarah, nobody's going to come in. No no front office executive is going to come in and say, boy, we're in a really rough spot. But this roster is not as good as some of their, you know, some of their competition in the East. But also, Brad Stevens didn't get enough out of the roster they had. Now, injuries obviously depleted this team, and that's something that everybody dealt with this year. But I am a little surprised for somebody that finds himself constantly around the rumor mill every time a big college job opens up. I mean, I feel like Brad Stevens' name is always there, 
And he was given, according to multiple reports, uh, Indiana gave him a hefty offer to try and get him to go there, and he decided not to. So uh, that decision now looks interesting, given the fact that he's no longer a coach. Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more, more driven. But that being said, all of this comes because Danny Ainge walked away. That's something Kendrick Perkins said today on the Max Kellerman Show. He wasn't surprised to see Danny Ainge step down. I could see this coming because I talked to Danny a lot and we talk about like, and every time we would get on the phone, he would talk about his family and how his grandkids are such a joy and all this and that. I could see this coming. Like I could see this coming to an end. I mean, he's been 44 years committed to the NBA, whether it was a player, coach, front office, whatever. Right. So it's probably time for him to step away. Yeah, I think. There's good context there, Fitz, and I think that because of the hyper-focus on Ainge over the last few years um, and an inability to really turn to anyone else for proof that that decision-making at the top um, was anyone else's fault, um, I I guess that makes sense. Do we have time here to hear Rachel Nichols? Because I do think it's interesting for all the focus on the Celtics underperforming. She did point out there's been a lot of success, too. When you look at a team that made the Eastern Conference Finals three of the previous four years, the Clippers have never made an Eastern, a Western Conference Finals in their history. And, Rachel, and by the way, to Danny's point that I relayed in our conversation from the other day, they've got two All-Stars under the age of 25. They were still in the playoffs this year. And yet you are 100% correct. A huge disappointment in Boston to have that kind of season. And with the outsets that Danny had set up for himself over those past couple years, and Fitz, that's what it is, right? It's expectations because of the history of the Celtics and because we were talking about and building up the assets that they were acquiring for so long, and we just kept waiting for the payoff that never came. It's also the daunting shadow of Brooklyn and the daunting shadow of what mm-hmm. feels like Giannis in the East. And you start looking, I mean, it is hard not to look at the Celtics roster within that organization and find yourself constantly comparing, you know, where are we in the competition structure? And I, I do believe that there was change coming. I'm surprised to see this sort of a radical change, not not just the fact that Ainge left, but the fact that Stevens gets promoted into this situation. Now they're going to have to bring in a new coach that somebody, the former coach is picking. It just all feels very awkward. And I, I'm curious to see how the locker room sort of finds some level of balance through all of that transition as well. Nothing about what's happened today in Boston makes me feel more confident about things in the future looking better. That being said, we'll get some expertise from one of our favorites that's right there in the thick of it next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And as always, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. Big moves in Boston. Not all that surprising that Danny Ainge is stepping down, but Brad Stevens going from coach to front office, leaving a lot of people wondering about that decision. And a lot of people reacting to uh, the disappointment of the Celtics in recent years. We're going to get an expert to come in and tell us how all of this went down and what's next for Boston. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And joining us, the only person I could think of to talk all things Boston, the great Jackie McMullen, for something we call Hi Fran. Jackie? Fran, <laughs> are you there? I think we have her. Maybe. Hey. I don't know. I don't hey. know. Hey, you there? Hi, hey. friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. I'm right <laughs> nice back. to have you, uh, Jackie. You know, you and I were on around the horn, and 
a couple weeks ago it was right before the play-in and, and the playoffs got underway and there's a lot of questions about what will this Celtics team look like if they can't get out of the first round and I had a feeling there'd be a big shakeup. I don't know that I thought that Brad Stevens would get bumped up to president of basketball ops. Are you surprised as well? Yeah, that's the one thing that did surprise me, Sarah. You know, Danny Ainge stepping down is something we've been murmuring about, I feel like, for months, honestly. And I thought that that front office had grown a little stagnant, same group together for quite a long time. Not a very diverse front office, I might add. And I thought that maybe they needed to add some diversity uh, and just some different decision making. But I, you know, I talk, I've talked to Brad Stevens a lot. I feel now like I've failed my job in that I never once asked him if he had these kind of aspirations. He's a very smart basketball man, one of the smartest basketball guys I know, uh, a man of great integrity. He has no experience, but, you know, as the days worn on here, when I think back on it, you know, Danny Ainge had no experience in the front office either. And, you know, neither did Pat Riley when he took over in the front office. So it's not unprecedented, but I do think it's a bit of a tall order. Jackie, when you think about this sort of change, is it enough to really reverse the fortunes of wherever the Celtics are right now? Well, I think they needed a change for sure. And this is a big one. And, you know, of course, we've got to see now who the the, the new head coach will be because that's important too. And uh, they still have a great, you know, base. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are 23 and 24 years old. And I would build around them. All day, every day, if it was my team. But the problem is now, all those draft picks that you had, they're gone. You, you're, you're up against the cap. You know, you've you made a deal for Evan Fournier at the, at the uh, trade deadline, and now you've got to re-sign him. And if you do that, chances are you are over the cap. So it's, it's, he's walking into a situation that is difficult. But I do think that that basketball team will benefit from a fresh voice. And that's not to say that Brad Stevens isn't a great coach. He is. But – Seven, eight NBA seasons as the coach in one place. That's an NBA lifetime. Eric Spolstra and and Rick Carlisle and Greg Popovich, they're the exception. They're not the rule. Jackie McMullen is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, giving you the straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And, Jackie, the straight talk I need from you is where do you think Brad Stevens failed as a coach and how does that spin into him finding success in the front office? Well, it's a good question. You know, the team underperformed this year, and there were times when I just didn't think they have the intensity they needed and the accountability they needed. And I do think that Brad Stevens has to accept some of the blame for that. I think he talked about it. I think he had trouble reaching these guys when it really mattered at times. And and now, is that a byproduct of just being there for so long, as we just talked about, you know, seven years, and they hear the same voice over and over, and they need to hear a fresh voice? Because certainly his X's and O's are above reproach. I always said that if the, you know, people were talking about the Celtics letting him go, that was never a possibility. That was never going to happen. And if it did, he'd be unemployed for all of 12 seconds. I mean, he has great respect throughout the league for his basketball acumen. But the question, the one question that the, the, the Stevens critics had was, is he the guy that can handle superstar personalities and get the most out of them? Uh, so we'll wait and see. We'll see who he hires as his coach. Uh, I would, again, like to see them hire someone of, color, you know, someone of color. I think that the Celtics could use a little diversity in their coaching staff and their front office. So uh, there's a lot of ex-players out there that I think would be good candidates, and I'm sure they're going to look at all of them. And the other thing is, guys, you know how this is. As the playoffs go on and teams get eliminated, 
there's going to be some other coaches that are going to lose their jobs because that's what happens every year in the playoffs. It, it, you know, owners wait and see, or sometimes they overreact. So there might be some other big names out there, too, available to the Celtics. This is a coveted job. In spite of their struggles this year, this is a very coveted job. And honestly, it would have been a coveted GM job or head of basketball or operations, whatever you want to call it, if it had ever been opened up. But clearly it never was. Jackie, has there been any indication at this point on how the coaching search will be handled? Well, it's Brad's it's Brad's call. I mean, it's you know he's he's in charge here. I think he'll he's a very thorough, um, methodical guy. I think he'll take his time. I think he'll interview a lot of people. I'm sure he has some ideas about people he would like to talk with. You know, one of the questions we were wondering aloud today about is. Um, do you give your players some input? If you give them input, how much input do you give them? I don't think Brad Stevens is going to go to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and say, hey, who do you guys want? I'll go get them. But if I were Brad Stevens, I'd sit my two stars down, my two foundations down and say, okay, where did we go wrong this year? If we have a fresh voice, what, what, what do you want that voice to sound like? What, what do you think would resonate in the locker room? I think those would be good conversations to have. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to the great Jackie McMullen as we – Discuss the big changes for Boston with Danny Ainge stepping down, Brad Stevens moving up. But big changes, Jackie, not in terms of roster. Now, those we have yet to see as, as we have to wait until right. the offseason. But are we pointing enough of a finger at the players themselves for what we have found to be a disappointing outcome? Well, I know I have, and it doesn't make me very popular in Boston right now. You're absolutely <laughs> correct, Sarah, because they're the ones that are out there. And listen, Jason Tatum is a draw-jopping talent. There's no question. I mean, he's just fantastic. But there were moments when things weren't going his way or the team's way that, you know, he's a young guy. He's 23. He'd, he'd slump his shoulders. You know, I, I was joking. One of, the, one of the scouts said to me, we've got it on our board that if Jason Tatum misses a bunch of shots – then just start running on him in transition because he won't get back. Now he's going to grow and evolve from that. He's, you know, I wouldn't, he's, he's going to be a Hall of Famer before he's done. He's really that good. But, yes, they need to take some responsibility. Now those two guys are young. They had a lot of success early. Did they get spoiled? Perhaps. That, that could be part of the problem. But if you're Brad Stevens, you went from now coaching these guys to making, you're going to have to make some very big decisions, difficult decisions about your roster going forward. Marcus Smart's going to be in his final year of his deal. Do you extend him or do you use him as trade bait? Because he is probably your most valuable trade piece. Kemba Walker at this point with the knee issues he's had, I think he's, he's probably a non-starter as a trade asset. I don't think you can get anything for him because he's damaged goods to some degree. So can he, can he regain his form? Can he get him get that knee health again? I don't know. It didn't seem like that was a possibility this year. He missed the final two games of the season with a bone bruise in his knee. So they have a lot of things. Evan Fournier, you brought him on. Can you re-sign him as a free agent? If you do, you're probably going into deep salary cap uh, territory. How much are you willing to spend? These are all the questions that Brad Stevens and the ownership are going to have to decide on. Jackie, even if he hits a home run, nails every one of these decisions you're talking about, and an East that still has a young Milwaukee team and a stacked right. Brooklyn team, what, what are realistic expectations for where the Celtics should be right now in the East? Yeah, it's a good question. It really is. I mean, they're not on the same level as Brooklyn or Milwaukee or Philadelphia. I think that's obvious. Now, you know, they'll counter, hey, we had more COVID games lost than any team. And they did, by the way. They were like at around 167 COVID games lost. And I think the next uh, closest team was at 118. So they had a lot of uh, upheaval with with the uh, virus. Certainly Jason Tatum wasn't the same for probably a, a good month after he returned. And then you, you, you trade too, for Fournier, and same yeah. thing happens with him, right? So 
Is it that? Can Kemba Walker be healthy again? You know, because if you talk to the players, they're like, look, we just need to get healthy. We need to get whole. And you wait and see. We'll be fine. Well, is that a little optimistic? Frankly, I think it is. <laughs> the one thing I would say about this roster, and I think Danny's legacy is intact. I think he did a, a really great job with the Boston Celtics. But near the end here, the back end of that roster, there are, there are four or five players on that roster that shouldn't be in the NBA. And so they need to fortify that roster from top to bottom. Jackie, you are the expert on all things Boston, and you came through as always. Appreciate the time. I know you're getting a lot of asks tonight to talk about this, so thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Jackie. All right, guys. Great to talk with you. Bye, friend. Bye, friend. Bye, friend. Bye, friend. It's Fade and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Jackie McMullen. She's the best. Giving you the straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Uh, we'll give you an update on tonight's games already underway and get you set for the ones coming up later. It's next. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. A bunch of NBA playoff basketball action tonight. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But, Sarah, first, we do have some horse racing news. And uh, Bob Baffert, a, a name that I think a lot of people that don't watch a lot of racing may not have been that familiar with until uh, tremendous success over the last couple of years, but really the doping scandal that we've seen this year. Yeah, the cancel culture the, getting him. I mean, <laughs> after the <laughs> Kentucky Derby uh, elimination uh, because of doping, uh, has been banned for two years. So they've stepped out, and Churchill Downs has said he cannot come back for two years uh, with any horses. So uh, it's a, it is at least a statement towards somebody that – uh, has been over the last couple of years just pumping anything he can into horses' bodies to try and help them win and, and seems to be very willy-nilly about what consequence there will be for it. Yeah, I mean, the number of positive tests on his horses over the last decade or so have, has been a, a real problem, and I'll say this much about it. I'm not a big horse racing person. I think horse racing should not exist, and so I would like to thank Bob Baffert for being the person who brought to attention uh, so many ills in the sport. And if it's his idiocy and not remotely caring to look carefully at what's being put into the horses or believing that he's above uh, reproach and is not going to get caught for it, and if all of that brings more attention to something that shouldn't exist in the first place, then I'm cool with that. So uh, the extra spotlight on horse racing, mistreating horses, drugging horses, whipping horses, uh, horses dying on racetracks, uh, all of that is a positive in my opinion because I don't think it should exist anymore. If you're going to tweet, Sarah, right now, just tweet me too on it. Like, I don't understand why, you know, we, we align on so many things. You say it, you get, I mean, destroyed on it. I say it and nobody cares. So, you know, Sarah, I'm just I'm just saying like throw <laughs> I'll me I'll tell into that this. to the guy who said I was what's wrong with the media and the world today for mentioning race when it comes to Brad Stevens. I'll make okay. sure to CC you on that one. Congratulations. <laughs> I always Thank love you. the one that I usually get where I'm the reason ESPN is dying. I get that one wow. a lot. Wow. Congrats. I don't know why people th- like Multi-billion think I have that dollar sort of company power. and it's all because yeah. of you. I mean, it's like, wow, I just, I snap my fingers and all of a sudden, like, I dream a genie. Boom! Things happen. That's the power that I feel like I'm bringing there. Spain and Fitz, there, Spain, Jason Fitz. All right. A lot of NBA action tonight. And I, I'm trying to figure out where we are on one important thing. Uh, the Wizards right now are leading the Sixers. Uh, obviously, it's early in that game. Uh, 36-33 right now. We'll see how that uh, looks playing forward. The the 76ers, all eyes are going to be on life without Joel Embiid, at least for a limited amount of time. Is there anything that could happen tonight that would make you sort of press the panic button if you're the Sixers, Sarah? No, I mean, uh, well, <coughs> excuse me. I'm already choking over it. Um, 
I well, think well, what, you're verklempt. I mean, yeah, if, I think the, the most Lakers important result, thing is does that hurt? Like, does that? No, does no. That I do think it? the most important thing is exactly how serious the knee injury is for Embiid. It doesn't really matter what happens tonight. It doesn't even. Um, I mean, I guess if if there was something to happen to Simmons, like another injury to add into the mix, but I don't think they're going to have trouble closing out this series. Maybe not tonight, but this series. Um, it's more about what happens in the next rounds if Joel Embiid isn't himself. Yeah, and I think that's going to be all eyes on that. Uh, Joel Embiid, by the way, they're saying torn meniscus right now. So uh, we'll see how his rehab goes moving forward. Uh, the most, But interesting... not as bad as what you might imagine from hearing that. They're still calling it day-to-day physical therapy and treatment, not surgery. Um, so, you know, there are obviously levels of tears. Uh, a thousand percent. And, I mean, to the point that, for example, the headline says torn meniscus out for game five. It doesn't say torn right. meniscus out for an extended amount of time. So uh, right now we don't know what that means, but we do know that uh, it's not something, at least today, that they're talking about uh, something that will be long-lasting. Also, uh, we do have a, a tip-off on the Knicks and Hawks. That game is also underwear. So we, you know, underwear. I love that I just said underwear. That game is underwear. Congratulations. Uh, very early in the underwear battle, apparently, that I'm now, uh, that that's what I'm doing to this matchup. Eight to five early on Hawks over the Knicks and look this is an exciting matchup because of Trey Young and because of the Knicks and because of everything uh, surrounding it but I, I still feel like Atlanta's the best I don't know if Atlanta's going to win the series tonight I still feel like Atlanta's going to win the series so for me Sarah while I love the concept of that game it's really the Mavs Clippers that I'm the most excited about coming into the night because that's the series that still feels like it's the most up in the air yeah t- absolutely I mean I think that we're so frustrated yet again with um the fact that there's injuries affecting every single series and making it really hard for us to diagnose battles and teams and matchups um, based on the basketball. Instead, it's, well, who's bringing everybody to the court feeling okay? Um, and I heard kind of the sarcastic throwaways of, you know, it's going to be pretty difficult for Luca to play if he can't turn his head one direction, right? And, I mean, clearly, um, but is it that serious? Exactly how bad are the nerve issues? And what kind of Luca will we see? He still had 19 points in what was a very bad game for him based on the rest of the series. Um, and and then there's the Clippers, right? They don't even need to have injuries to be a gigantic question mark. Their, their injuries are upstairs, right? The, the, the question mark every time is who shows up for that squad? So this is a fascinating series to me, and I've been really surprised to see some of the experts in the game, um, our analysts, say that they think that the Dallas Mavs are all but done here. I mean, that presumes a level of competence from the Clippers that can never be presumed. I think also part of it, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz, it comes back to the Herculean effort we saw from uh, from uh, the Mavs early on, right? Like, and, and with Luka not being able to play, we don't know. But with the Luka injury, I think that Herculean effort from him specifically hasn't felt like it's something that can just come back at this point. So part of, I think, the buyout is because we're looking at it saying, well, Luca's a, a shell of himself. Uh, you know, maybe that's the the reason people are out on it. I don't know. I, I mean, right. I, I mean, they needed I, him to be unbelievable, um, at least in, in, in early on. Uh, now it's now it's a matter of, you know, would that team even be able to beat the Clippers when they're actually playing up to snuff, even if they did have a healthy Luca? Yeah, I still think, I mean, we've seen the best of Luka. And when we see the best of Luka, the Mavs can beat the Clippers. Uh, that doesn't mean that I'm going to say that's going to happen, though. I mean, I, I rolled the dice last night and, and went against one L.A. team. I'm not going to double down on that. I'm not an right. absolute moron. Right. I mean, I, I just... already announced that I refuse 
to put my faith in the in the Clippers. I did it for years. They disappointed me. Just because they won two games doesn't mean they're going to trick me into believing them again. But I do think that this is that's the game, and it's the late night game on TNT. That that's the game that will cause at least the most reaction going into tomorrow because. If, if Luka comes out and his lights out, then everybody's going to go right back into the, oh, my God, the Clippers are in a free fall. If the opposite's the case, then everybody's going to give up on Dallas. So it at least gives us hot takes one way or the other. I'm right. not sure, Sarah, there's a big hot take that we can get out of Memphis, Utah. Like It's been fun to watch John Morant really uh, explode yet again in a, big, in a big way and to see his platform continue to grow through this process. And I love what Memphis is trying to do as a young team. It's just Utah's better. Like This isn't yeah. really a... Hot takes. Utah's a better basketball Utah's team. Utah's better, so doing and, and the Grizzlies, Grizzlies are young and fun, and their future is still ahead of them. I guess everybody's future is still ahead of them. Your future can't be behind you, but you know what I mean. The best times are still ahead of them. I think there's there's a, a lot of interest in the Hawks-Knicks because, to me, for a series um, that sits where it is, you know, I, I'm surprised that everybody's already just considered the Knicks out for a team that a lot of people were actually favoring before the series began. I know what we've seen particularly from Julius Randle has, has left us doubting, but um, there's, there's still some meat on the bone in that one, especially if the Knicks win tonight. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. If the Knicks win tonight, then, then we get massive fever for all of this, right? Everybody's going to mm-hmm. yell and scream about it. Uh, I just don't know. I mean, Randall has looked so bad uh, through mm-hmm. the, the course of this, which I think is one of the most unfortunate things that we've seen in the playoffs so far, like to see somebody that had such a, a narrative changing year right. fall apart so in this moment is such a disappointment for Knicks fans, but also just for NBA fans, because anytime I can watch a player rise to the occasion, it, it only makes me feel good. And, and this is the opposite of, of all of that. Okay. That's some of your action coming up in the NBA. But in the meantime, we're going to whip around the association with another friend next Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio and the ESPN app. We talked yesterday about the incredible ratings for the WNBA through the first couple games of the season and so much news to get into in the women's NBA as women's NBA. I was going to call it the association and the women's. Anyway, you get the point. It's the WNBA and we're going to talk about it now. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Lachina Robinson of the Around the Rim podcast joins us now. Lachina, I'm going fast because there's so much to get to and not that much time. And I have to start with the big news of the day. My Chicago Sky sending away... Their draft pick that everybody knew was young and unproven and would need time in Shayla Heal, she gets traded away and then waved immediately. The girl just flew all the way over here from Australia and never really got a chance to prove herself. What do you make of everything that just went down with that trade today? Yeah, Sarah, thanks for having me, first of all. It is very interesting because, as you know, the Chicago Sky has caught the injury bug there without Allie Quigley and Candace Parker, who are two of their best players. So while you would want to lose in the streak without those two players, and Chicago is capable of winning games, hence last night losing on a, a heave by Kenders. They're capable of winning Oof. without those players, but it seems like there may be a little bit of panicking happening in Chicago. You know, Shyla Heal, yes, you're right. We all knew she was young. There were several point guards that were still on the board when she was taken. I mean, Dana Evans, Keanu Williams, Destiny Slocum. So we're, there were some proven NCAA college point guards on the board, but it was clear that Chicago felt great about Shyla Heal. I mean, I talked to Australian Hall of Famer Lauren Jackson. She really felt like she was prime for the WNBA. But clearly things didn't go well. I mean, we can see that statistically and also by the move. And I think the worst part of her story is that not only did she get traded to Dallas, but she got waived. Mm -hmm. So 
it's interesting because we knew that Courtney Vandersloot needed a backup point guard. Like, they have got to get Sloop some minutes. They are very thin in the backcourt. They've got a ton of forwards. But without Allie Quigley, you know, it just it, it shortens things up. So um, I am definitely surprised by the move. Um, and, again, you know, for a team that got beat in the first round last year, they weren't healthy with Diamond and Shields. You look at this roster and their championship aspirations, and I think – James Wade is just looking down the line and felt like Shiloh could not provide that backup point guard security that he was looking for. Yeah, I appreciate you calling her Shiloh, by the way. I always call her Shayla because I call her Sheila because she's Aussie, and then it throws me oh, yeah. off. So, uh, go ahead, Fitz. No, I totally get it. I do want to say one more thing, too. I, I really thought Dana Evans should have gone higher in the WNBA draft, you know, and, and so in essence, she ends up probably where she should have been in right. the first place, if not, yeah. if not higher. So when we're talking about surprises, one surprise we talked about yesterday was Noel Quinn becoming the coach for Seattle. She gets her first win last night as a head coach. What sort of transition does all of this mean for the Storm as they adjust to a new coach? Yeah, Jason, I mean, obviously it's not um, the best time to be making a head coaching change, right? But I think it softens the blow when you have – a Hall of Fame point guard in Sue Bird, who, if you were watching her last night, she's always coaching, right? So it has been, you've got Noelle Quinn, who um, is very capable, is ready for the opportunity, has admitted she's got some growing to do, obviously doesn't have the experience, but has all the, doesn't have the experience as a head coach, but has all the playing experience, has coached on a championship team, has, you know, sat in that seat, even though on a limited basis, has all the respect of every player currently and those that have gone on. So, She's primed for the job, but I do think the transition is much easier when you have a team that, that has Sue Bird. I mean, um, in essence, she, she is a coach. Even when Dan Hughes was there, I mean, she had a ton of input on things that were happening. And even, you know, with him sitting out and all the, all the changes that Seattle has had to make at the top with their coaches um, due to injury and things, obviously, that have been beyond their control, uh, they just have an experienced and veteran team in, in the core with Sue and, and Stewie and Jewel that have played together and, and can handle this type of transition. But I just think the film, the familiarity with, with Quinn um, is what also helps this. If they would have brought in someone completely new, I don't think this works. It's LaChina Robinson, host of the Around the Rim podcast with us here on Spain and Fitz. Connecticut Sun, 7-2. and two. Lots, uh, lots better than a lot of people had in the preseason. What are you seeing from them? You know, I, I never doubt a Kurt Miller coach team. I have so much respect for Kurt as a coach and, and how he prepares his teams. And, and, and also, you know, honestly, they play a lot like a, like a college team. Remember we would say that about the Golden State Warriors when they first started mm-hmm. playing because the NBA was so full of isolation ball. And here comes these young guys who are, like, sharing the ball and pressuring defensively. Like, that is – the Connecticut Sun. I mean, they can spread the floor. They have two unicorns, essentially, and 6'4", uh, Bonner, who can score at all three levels, and 6'6", John Cole Jones, who is a future WNBA MVP. So it's hard to guard that. And then they've really committed to the defensive end of the floor. And to me, that's what separated the Connecticut Sun and really separates any team that Kurt Miller coaches because he demands effort on that end of the floor. Now, they're without Alyssa Thomas, who is the engine to their defense, um, you know, I mean, she is all WNBA defense stalwart. She's always there, her energy. Um, but, you know, Jasmine Thomas is a great defender. Breon January is one of the great defenders in the WNBA on the 
all WBA defensive team several occasions. So they just got a group that's bought into yeah. that end of the floor. And to me right now, that's what makes them different. They've been gelled. impressive. Um, been impressive. Yeah, They're shutting they can, people they up. Create easy that, butt that buckets. Doubted the they Burley. are. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 really I think they're gonna they're gonna be one of the teams to beat at the end of this. Well, plenty of time left in this season for the teams that are underperforming Connecticut's unloving where they are now. LaChina, wish we could keep you longer. We'll have you back soon. Thanks for the insight. <laughs> Thanks for having me guys, as always. Have a good night. Lots Here's of China Robinson, around the rim <laughs> podcast, giving you all the good WNBA news. Coming up, we narrow down the teams that Jason can knock off his bachelor baseball list. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, an expert in all things uniforms goes by the name at UniWatch on social media. It's Paul Lucas. Nobody better to help Fitz make this big, important decision that will mean the removal of five more baseball teams. And, Paul, thanks for the time. Um, Give people a little bit of your credentials. Like, why should you be the one to tell Fitz sort of a subjective thing, which is whether or not he should like certain uniforms? Uh, Well, I've been writing about uniforms since 1999. Uh, I spent uh, 15 of those years at ESPN as a columnist writing uh, the column UniWatch which is all about sports uniforms and athletics aesthetics, as I like to call it. Uh, And I don't know if that means I should be telling anybody who they should root for, but it definitely means I think uh, long and hard and probably way too much about uniforms. And that's why we need you, Paul. And and so let's be really clear here. Uh, I only have one team that I am just live and die passionate for in all the sports, and that's my beloved Raiders, who have a very classic uniform. Silver and black is what it is. It never changes. it's, It's a beautiful thing. And I happen to like the color scheme on it. So I'm just giving you a little idea of where my mindset is. So that being said, when you look across the spectrum, I'm going to ask you the opposite of what most people ask. Like what's the worst in your mind that you look at in major league baseball and say, Oh my God, that uniform is terrible. And that team should just retire it. Uh, I would say probably the Marlins, the Miami Marlins. And and I I put an asterisk there because they just released, as you probably know, uh, in the last couple of weeks, they released their their City Connect uniform, which was based on uh, a Cuban uniform because uh, this is a big Cuban uh, community in Miami. And, and I have to say, I love that alternate uniform that they came out with. But they're only wearing that for a handful of games, right? So their basic, you know, their home and road and basic alternate uniform, you know, their, their standard set, not this new City Connect alternate. It's a nightmare, man. It's like, it, it looks like, Light bright. You remember the kids' game, light bright, like with the with the the bright fluorescent colors. Um, it's it's illegible when you have it on the black jersey, their black alternate jersey. You can't uh, really read the player's name on the back of his jersey, even the Marlins' name on the front of the jersey. And, and I know it's not just me because I get like every time the the Marlins wear that jersey, I get all these tweets and emails from people saying, "What's going on, man? I can't read, uh, you know, what they're wearing." And it's it's so funny that they came out with this when Derek. Derek Jeter bought the team because here's Derek Jeter who wore the most classic, you know, <laughs> most basic uniform in all of sports, the Yankees uniform. And then he buys the Marlins and, and promptly dresses them uh, in, in this design. It just doesn't work. Uh, so I, and, and, you know, they've changed so many times. Just go back, the, the Marlins, go back to the basic teal uniform that they started with. Uh, but, if, you know, I don't want to – I could talk a long time about the Marlins, but I would say that's <laughs> the first, uh, first team to cross off your list. You're right. Those those new ones are pretty cool looking with that sort of bright red mixed in. Um, it's weird how they can't nail it because the Miami Heat, especially their sort of neon color scheme mm, with their yeah. vice knights and their vice wave, like those are some of the best uniforms in all of sports. And somehow the Marlins can't use a similar sort of Sobe 
color scheme to pull it off. We're talking to Paul Lucas, a.k.a. UniWatch, here on Spain and Fitz as Fitz tries to narrow down his baseball teams this week based on uniforms. I can't believe I, – I, I see your flaws with the Marlins. Nothing is worse to me than the Padres. I mean, between the camouflage uniforms that I don't dig to the fact that you just have to like brown and yellow together in order to be a fan – Oh. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you there because uh, I'm, I'm with you on the camouflage. I'm not a fan of that either. But, uh, you know, those are Padres colors, the brown and yellow. And before they switched back to that, which they did, uh, you know, just at the, the end of uh, the 2019 season, they, they came out with the, the brown and yellow. And they were reclaiming those colors as their own because no other team has ever had that. And I know you're, you're going to say, well, no other team would, <laughs> would want that. But, but man, those, those are the Padres going back to their roots. And before they went back to brown and yellow, they had a uniform that was just utterly characterless. Like it Agreed was just on the, that. The, like the navy and white, it wasn't a like it wasn't ugly. It wasn't good looking. It was nothing to get excited about or too upset about. It was nothing to care about. It was just nothing. And and I feel like when they went back to the brown and yellow, they look they look like the Padres again. So Fitz, I would say like you know I, I realize everybody can have a different opinion on this, but I would say stick with the Padres. Don't cut the Padres just on the on the brown and yellow basis. The Padres, believe me, are the toughest part of this particular cut because to go full bachelor here. Like, this is the fatal flaw of the Padres. They, they have one fatal flaw, and it's I don't <laughs> like the unis at all. And but I feel, and this is the uni cut. Like, I feel yeah. I should be true to myself and cut well, them. Well, we've seen the show, though. There's plenty of red flags that get ignored in uh. service of other things. So you're allowed to <laughs> I mean, if you, feel strong, if you feel strongly about the Padres, go ahead, go ahead and cut them. But personally, well, if, if you're asking my advice, I would say no. I'd say they have one of the more unique uniforms in Major League Baseball. I, Tell them I who you are say, thinking fits. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah, let's get say, your opinion look first. Long and hard, look long and hard at the Rangers. Uh, the Texas Rangers, who for years, you know, they had Texas on their, their not just their road uniform. Most teams have their, their city or state on the road uniform. But they also had it on their home uniform and all their alternate uniforms. So they were the Texas Texases. They didn't even <laughs> have the, the word Rangers anywhere on their, on their uniform set. They did change that last year, and they have now on their home whites and on a, a powder blue alternate. They do have the script Rangers, but I think it's a really clunky script. Uh, also, the Rangers can never seem to decide whether they're a blue team with red trim or a red, tr- red team with blue trim. Uh, they have both a blue alternate jersey and a, a red alternate jersey. They have blue caps and red caps. They mix and match, and they can't really seem to decide which is the primary color and which is the secondary color. To me, their visual program has always been a mess. Uh, I, I would say if you're looking for a team to get rid of because their uniforms just don't make the grade, I would definitely think strongly about the Texas Rangers. See, this is why I wanted you to come on, Paul, because Texas was on my list of like, I'm not sure they were right on fringe. You may have pushed, uh, you may have saved somebody else inadvertently. Like uh, so far <laughs> uh, on my list, uh, I know I, I was already coming into this conversation thinking I'm out on Miami. So you've reinforced that. I don't like the Colorado unis at all. Like I'm out. Uh, on see that 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 was my next. That was the next one I was going to bring up because uh, people who read me and who've read me for years know I can't stand the color purple. Purple is just doesn't work for me as a uniform color. Uh, the Rockies also have that weird black vest jersey that they mm-hmm. wear with black no, undersleeves. Yep. Which doesn't even make sense. Like, if the whole point of a vest jersey is to have contrast between the jersey and the undershirt, and they've got black on black, doesn't make sense. Uh, I do sort of give them credit for sticking with their basic look pretty much their entire existence since they they came into the league in 1993. They haven't changed willy-nilly like the Marlins and some other teams. Uh, The Diamondbacks, like other new franchises, tend to change a lot. Uh, The Rockies have, have stuck with their look. 
but I think it's maybe time they they gave that a second look as well. So if if that if they're on on the bubble for you, I would I would say like push them on the far side of that bubble. I think Paul, I'm also out on Arizona and Toronto. Are either of those worth me reconsidering? Uh, I would say Arizona is all, would also be on my short list for, for not making the grade. Uh, Toronto, I actually love their look. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of the Blue Jays' uh, current uniforms. Um, it's sort of an updated version, like a modernized version of the original uniforms they had when they came into Major League Baseball in the, the late 70s. Uh, and I, I think it really works. Uh, it's sort of like updated classic. Or the like, bird's placement, like, is the asymmetry kills me. I, there's yeah, just a I'm, bird hanging out in the middle of your stomach. I don't dig it. Sarah, it's we've not never in the middle. Oh, you, like, you want it in the middle? I mean, it's, I just it's, don't it's, want it where it is. I I, I don't, don't want it. It's just weird. I don't like it. It's floating bird. I want the Blue Jays to come but, through the bird. You know, birds bird do somewhere. fly now. Yes. <laughs> I, want, I want it between blue and jay, or I want it in the I don't know. I just don't want it where it is. Yeah. Interesting. I Interesting. I, personally, <laughs> I'm still a big fan of that look. I would say Arizona uh, would be on the bubble for me as well. Uh, I think you should maybe, you know, I don't know how, how you guys feel about issues of Native American appropriation in sports, but, you know, uh, for me, the, the Braves, and as long as the Indians are still called the Indians, Great and this point. is their last year Great being called point. that, uh, I would say, you know, that, that becomes a problem for their uniforms. Uh, you know, the fact that they use Native American iconography and team names and things like that, and the tomahawk on the Braves uniform. Uh, so that, that earns them low marks for me as well. I would say the Twins, uh, who have six different uniforms, which is just way more than any Major League Baseball team <laughs> needs. Uh, like, it's just, you know, you got your home whites and your road grays, and everyone can have an alternate. That's fine. But the Twins have four different alternates, and it's just way too much. Uh, they need to sort of, like, whittle that down and then wow. have a core look. Um, Lots to so think those... about, Fitz. He just introduced a whole slew of teams that you now have to add into the mix. And I was but... with you on a lot of these, but, yeah, we have a lot to think about. Uh, Paul, Thank you for your insight. Thank you for thinking long and hard about these things. Uh, Fitz rarely thinks long and hard about anything, so you've really put <laughs> some uh, some real conundrums in front of him. Uh, everybody can find him at UniWatch on social media, and the website is uni-watch.com. Uh, thanks for the time, Paul. Appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so, I mean, all of that swirling around in your brain, do you have a final designation of the five teams getting bounced? Sarah, I have made my decision. Bum, bum, bum. Some of these are easy. All right. Like, I think we just agreed. Like, Colorado, th- those are trash unis. They're out. Yep. Bam. Colorado, you have now been eliminated from my bachelor uh, in bachelor in paradise. That's what I'm going with now. <laughs> uh, I've still never watched the show. Uh, next up, I think we, we agreed that Arizona, hot garbage on their mm-hmm. unis. So, Arizona's out. Um, Miami, yeah, hot garbage. They're out yep. also. Oh, thank you. Uh, I think you and I were aligned on Toronto, and and mm, look, the bird. Blue Jay doesn't make any sense where it is. Yeah. Plus, I don't want a Blue Jay in the middle of my gut. Like, and then no. if I'm like, if I'm having one of those fat months, like all anybody's doing is looking at my stomach. Yeah. I don't want that. So, like an extra big wing or head just popping out. <laughs> Looks like it's talking to you. If I've had too many corn dogs, I don't need that. All right, uh, and that leaves me one more to eliminate. This one's tough, but. Based on everything we just heard, even though I I, I didn't think I'd start here, uh, I'm eliminating Cleveland. Cleveland wow. is out. Yeah, he yeah. got to you. Yeah, uh, he But did. not the Braves. Something tells me that has to do with the young talent on the team more so than the uniforms. Got to keep some of the talent around. <laughs> uh, well, we are down to 20 now. Uh, I believe the next will be personalities. That's we will get you down Braves to 15 <laughs> by removing five teams that just don't have anyone fun that you want to root for. 
That'll be the next step in Major League Bachelor. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spade, Jason Fitz. Coming up, we hear about a legendary coach from one of his most famous players. It's next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We'll get back to the NBA action, get you updated on all the games going on over the course of tonight and what to expect from some of the action later in the evening. But there was some big news out of college basketball today, and it came with the, in the form of finding out that we now know, according to sources, that Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, will be stepping away from Duke at the end of this season. And when things happen for Duke, one of the main guys on our bat phone that we immediately look to is the great Jay Billis, college basketball analyst and Duke grad. So uh, we're going to talk to Jay now on the Goodyear Hotline. Jay, appreciate your time. I know you're obviously busy with everything going on with Coach K. So uh, how surprised or what was your reaction to the news today that he's going to be stepping away? Well, I mean, it was sort of mixed, uh, mixed feelings. I mean, on one hand, you know, you want to uh, honor and congratulate him on a, a great career that uh, is storied in, in so many different ways. I mean, it's been, uh, I think, the, the greatest career in college basketball history and one of the great coaching careers in, in any sport uh, uh, in this country or internationally. Um, and then you're grateful that, uh, that he's going to be doing it another year. So we get to see him on the sidelines for the the 2022 season uh, before he ultimately steps away, and then and then on a, on a personal level, just sort of a, a profound gratitude to him that you know I, I first met him when I was 17, and uh, and he rec- started recruiting me in 1981, uh, and so I've had him in my life for 40 40 years, and uh, been very very fortunate that that he's been a a teacher, coach, mentor, friend uh, for all that time. And, um, and I can honestly say that, that I don't know what my life would be like if, if I didn't have him uh, as my coach. That, um, you know, for me, um, outside of my family, that's been the most meaningful and impactful relationship of my life. Jay, we'll have a minute to talk about what comes after Coach K and with John Shire, but I'm curious, in next season, does it hurt his recruiting ability that they know he'll be on his way out, or is it, especially for the best players, the one-and-dones, a I'm going to get that last year of him and he wants to go out better than, of course, this season ended? How do you think it affects the now? Yeah, Sarah, that's a good question. I mean, I think things are different now that a number of the players that, that don't plan on being there for longer than the year anyway. So it's a little, it's a lot different than it was, you know, when I was a player 20 years ago, whatever, uh, where, you know, you, you might be asking, you know, are you going to be there my whole four years? There are very few players that, that ask that question now. Uh, uh, <laughs> they're like, are, are you going to, you know, you're asking the player, are, are you thinking you might be here longer than a year? Um, so it's become more of a year-to-year thing, but I think for 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 recruiting, having the continuity of of Coach K, um, you know, a lot of coaches. Uh, not that that there would be you know anything untoward with it, but you know they may may think they want to go for another year, but they're not going to tell anybody that this is it. And uh, um, you know, so they may continue recruiting with the idea that I don't really know if I'm going to be here next year, that kind of thing. Uh, here you've got certainty, and then you've also got the next coach sitting there next to you, and he'll he'll be doing the, all the recruiting this year uh, in John Shire. So that 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 
gives a nice continuity of things and a balance to it. So, yeah, I think it's the it's the best, certainly the best that they can do, you know, given the the circumstances of of the announcement and then another year. It, it's not the it's not the usual thing, but uh, you know, when you've been at it forty forty one years at one place. Um, it, it, you know, you always ask the question of when, you know, when is Coach K going to retire? But the, the, the most difficult question is how, like, how do you do it? And there's no, there's no like right way to do it. We're talking to Jay Billis, college basketball analyst and Duke grad with the news that Coach K will be stepping down after the season. And you just mentioned they have the coach and waiting on staff. Uh, we always talk about coach to player, but coach to coach, like what's the next year look like when, you know, as a as the next coach, you're trying to get a little of your footing, but you're also taking in all of the advice and knowledge you can in the meantime. Yeah, and John, look, John's been he knows the program backwards and forwards. He was the captain under Coach K and, and won a national championship uh, and and was a great player at Duke. Uh, and then for the last eight years, he's he's been by his side as an assistant and associate head coach. He's won a championship at Duke as both a player and an assistant coach. And, uh, you know, it may get a little dicey if he walks into Coach K's office with a measuring tape, you know, in the middle of the season and starts, you know, starts measuring things. Uh, <laughs> he may get barked at a little bit, but otherwise I think it'll be fine. Jay Billis is here with this college basketball analyst, Duke grad, talking about Coach K saying next season will be his last. I read a good Eamon Brennan piece on The Athletic, and he talked about connections between Coach Knight and Coach K. And he asked the question, is Duke about to become Indiana? Can Duke still be Duke without Coach K? It's not going to happen immediately, of course. But do you think over the course of a couple of years, without an immediate excellence with under Shire, can that you know kind of luster fade without a guy who's, whose personality has been dominant for 40 years? Well, I think, Sarah, the, 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 the thing I would look at more so than Indiana would probably be, be North Carolina. Um, you know, a peer institution mm-hmm. that's just down the road. And, you know, whether it was when Dean Smith uh, uh, retired or Bill Guthridge stepped aside or all that, now Roy Williams, um, you know, they, they've continued to be not only a, a relevant but a dominant program. And, you know, I, I think the Indiana thing is a little bit different. Uh, I know Coach K and, and Coach Knight are, are connected, but, you know, Coach, I got fired there and, and, and sort of dumped unceremoniously right. with all that back in the day. And, and they went away from kind of, you know, Indiana people and all that stuff. So it was a, it was a fracturing moment there. This is a little bit different. Um, so I don't see it. Look, it, it's a, I think this is the toughest act to follow in the history of sports, not just college sports, but sports period. And maybe, maybe I've not, you know, canvassed every sport. Uh, as I should, but I can't think of another coach in a major sport in America that's gone 35 years at that level of uh, had 35 years of that level of sustained excellence as Coach Hayes had, and it's all been on television, the internet, you name it. Um, you know, John Wooden wasn't on television all the time when, when he had his you know 10 titles in 12 years, and Bear Bryant wasn't on television uh, like this. It, it's it's there's no coach that's been more inextricably linked with his program uh, and brand than Coach K at Duke. Uh, so, you know, John Shire, and I think he's very, very capable, but those are awfully, awfully big shoes to fill. Jay, do you have any sense of what might be next for Coach K? I don't. Um, 
you know, I, I don't think he's going to, you know, somebody asked me earlier today, you know, could you see him being like a, uh, a, a commissioner of college basketball or something like that? I don't see him running day-to-day operations of anything, but, but I do see, see him being a uh, sort of a sage voice and advisor a, a, at the highest levels of the game. I, I think he's, he's above, uh, I see him as being above day-to-day, uh, you know, administration of, of something. And I see him more as, as a, you know, somebody who would be the, the ultimate consigliere of, of, of basketball uh, because he, he has always been in every room I've ever been in. He's always been the smartest person in the room. And, uh, and he, he, he thinks to me, thinks on a different level. And, and I think he's proven that over the years. So, you know, I know one thing when, when I've needed, uh, when I've made a decision in my life, um, uh, that's been, you know, more on the business basketball side. Uh, I've never made it without talking to him first. Hey, we're out of time, but quickly, I wanted to just quickly ask you, as we've seen between him and, and Roy Williams, uh, obviously they're, they're 70 uh, plus, so that makes sense. Is there any part of you that also thinks the massively changing landscape has some saying, I've done enough and this isn't a time where I want to pivot into learning how to handle the image and likeness, G League as a complete threat and all the other stuff? No. If Coach K could learn Instagram, he could handle all that. I, mean, I, <laughs> I have no problem with it. Understand it. I think if both Roy and Coach K were 40, this wouldn't bother them a bit. And not not to these guys, but when, when athletic directors now are saying, like, this is, you know, the changing landscape is a reason they're getting out, um, I laugh because, uh, you know, there were massive changes on the revenue generation side over the last 30 years, and right. none of them balked for a second. Like, none of them said, hey, I'm making too much money. This isn't right. N- none of them said that. So I don't I, – I wouldn't buy that for one second. I think this has to do with age and time of life uh, more than anything. And if, if that were a factor, it would be, you know, factor number 98 on a list. Jay, I can't think of a lot of people that are better qualified to give us insight on Coach K. I really appreciate it on a busy day with so much going on emotionally around this, your time and your expertise on it, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Jay Billis, college basketball analyst. Duke grad, uh, obviously going to be interesting to see how Duke and college basketball both move forward with uh, such an icon stepping away after this season. In the meantime, four teams in the Eastern Conference are going toe-to-toe to save their seasons. We'll update, it, update you on it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM. Channel Lady Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, be sure to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we can hang out with us every single day that way. Make sure you don't miss a single minute of Spain and Fitz with Sarah and I. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And Sarah, a lot of action going on tonight. And look, I'm not sure anything can top sort of the wild. I'll be honest, maybe it's sentimental of me. There was just something about being, it's rare at this point to be on campus at ESPN, watching the end of the Blazers' Nuggets improbable ending shot after shot after shot, seeing everybody jump up and down and just feeling like sports almost felt normal last night. Like last night was such a rare moment over the course of the last year and a half that to, to watch an ending like that. I'm not sure much can live up to it, but man, everybody's trying it at this point. We're about <laughs> midway through the third. Philly is up on Washington by six. And then in the game that uh, we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, almost halftime and Atlanta is up on uh, on the Knicks by five in a particularly close game and uh, all eyes 
uh, as we said earlier, have been throughout the course of the playoff on some of the problems for Julius Randle. Well, he's got 17 points in the first half on 6-12 to 12 shooting, 4 for 4 from the free throw line, and uh, has 10 boards at this point. So he's had a monster first half. He's come out really aggressive, which speaks to some of the physical conversation we were hearing uh, as everybody was sort of yapping at each other over the last couple of days at the microphone. I did like how Derek Rose, who's in his early 30s, was like, I'm too old for this. I'm like, you're too old for this. Imagine how the rest of us feel with all the yapping everywhere. Um, I mean, to your point, part of, I think, last night's, uh, we we were looking at a series tied 2-2, and it felt like the pivotal game. Both of these series have, uh, you know, 3-1 leads in them. A lot of people have made up their minds about how they're going to end, and maybe not so fast. I I still think that, you know, the Wizards don't have enough, uh, but... But, man, you suddenly look at Westbrook and Beal having a night uh, against a team that now focuses on Simmons and the ways that you can target Simmons and his flaws. And suddenly, you know, Joel Embiid's recovery and quickly becomes much more important. And you look at the Hawks-Knicks. This is a series that a lot of people picked the Knicks to win beforehand. So taking that 3-1 lead may not be as much of a door closing as we thought. Um, And these uh, two close games tonight certainly uh, making it a lot lot more interesting. You you know, you mentioned too old for this, Sarah. I've reached that spot now where if I walk into a room, especially now after a year and a half of COVID, if I walk in and everybody's at that level of drunk, even in a bar that I just <laughs> know that, like, I just turn around and leave. I'm that, I'm that guy now that I walk in. I'm right. like, nope, too much for me. Like, I'm, I just, I need to start eating my dinner at 4.30 in the afternoon. Oh, no. Like, maybe just, like, take a little Metamucil with me everywhere I go. Like, I feel like it's just done. You know, that's, that's what's happening. So I feel I don't feel that way about fun. the drinking. If I see a room full of drunks, I'm like, you too? Uh, but <laughs> it's more the arguing that I talked about uh, with, you know, Derek Rose being like, listen, I don't really need what you're saying, Clint Capella. I'm too old for this. That's how I feel sometimes now, especially in my Menchies. Uh, there's been people going on for about seven hours now, maybe. No, longer, because it started last night, and they're still going about whether or not the Lakers were technically down more than one injured player. And if he didn't play a whole game, does that count? I'm like, what do y'all have to do besides this? Got to be something. Like, I just end up messaging people, please untag me or just block each other and move on. Like, How are you getting anything out of this? I am a thousand percent convinced at this point that everybody that is doing that on Twitter is somebody that got beat up a lot as a kid. Like the, the number of people that are just like, well, actually, uh, you know, if you didn't, I've said this to you before, but if you're if you're typing something, not you, but the general population is typing something that would make an actual room full of people all roll their eyes and realize they don't want to hang out with you, then don't press end on it. Right, like it's a pretty right. simple yeah, message. People don't seem media. to have that self awareness, unfortunately. Um, Fitz, you mentioned the two games, and by the way, it's Spain and Fitz here, Spain. Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. The two games going on now, and that Atlanta Knicks one. Yesterday, we played Kendrick Perkins ahead of the Lakers game, and he definitively and confidently said that this was a game five, so the king, (laughs) LeBron James, was coming out, going to put this game away, put the whole team on his shoulders. Didn't exactly go that way. So if if you're a Knicks fan, Maybe you'd like me to jinx the Hawks tonight by playing this Kendrick Perkins sound about tonight's game. It's not happening, okay? The Hawks just have too much firepower. They're battle-tested. If the Knicks was going to make this a series, they had to steal one in in Atlanta. This series is over. Whether it goes five or six, I don't see it going past six, but it might end tonight. I mean, yep. He said it ain't going to happen. I love the just intestinal fortitude it takes to double down on just 
I'm going for it. I mean, that's a, you can tell K, that, that Kberg was an athlete, right? Like, he will just go in and say, all right, I'll drive the lane again. Like, it doesn't matter if I got blocked before. Like, that's the, the level of confidence, whereas I'm sheepish. Like, I was right about the Suns game last night, and I'm still <laughs> sheepish tonight. Like, that's the difference between Perk and me. And, and look, I— It's the I only do, difference? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, other than that, we're spinning <laughs> images. We're basically brethren. I mean, that's—everybody knows it. Like You guys had uh, similar careers, too. Yeah. Oh, my, very, very similar. Uh, <laughs> so, like, does that mean that I was the Perkins of country music, or that he was the fiddle player of the NBA? I'll ask. Oh, you. I just meant your NBA career. Most people oh. don't realize the time that you spent in the association fits. Uh, well, oh no. I mean, it was th- that's what happens when you're wearing Memorable. a furry costume running around the stadium <laughs> while you do it. Like, you don't get the recognition. That, you know, you're so. So, you would be a so great crave. mascot, other than the fact that you're, you know, you wouldn't have the ability to do any physical tricks, which are the cornerstone of the job. But the yeah. enthusiasm would be no. there. There's no doubt about that. Like I, <laughs> I think I really miss my calling. If I could go back and invent a time machine, I really have find it. T- it took me this long to figure out in life what I was really meant to do. I was meant to be a a manager for a pro wrestler, like one of the guys wow, that just okay. talks the trash in yep. the ring for the wrestler. That. that like like so, you know that that's really my. My great gift. Maybe I'll do that for the third chapter in my life. Like, I'll just see if I can get into wrestling just yeah. as a manager. That works like, out because I think my calling probably would have been to be a professional wrestler. So, oh my God. we have a good you, partnership. We just I think haven't we're headed to put WrestleMania our skills to use. And now, <laughs> when somebody attacks me in the ring, Sarah, will you cut them off the pass and Obviously. take care of them for you? Of course. Clothesline okay. is my best move. That is that is astounding. Uh, by the way, four games tonight. A little bit of a reminder of one of the challenges the NBA is facing right now with their TV partnership deals because last night we were laughing as we were watching uh, the Blazers Nuggets come down to the wire on NBA TV while TNT had a Lakers game that we all thought was going to be at least fun to watch, and it was an absolute blowout. Well, that happens a little bit again tonight as right now NBA TV is where you can watch the Washington uh, the Washington 76ers game, and then Memphis, Utah has been relegated to that channel. It's a little harder to find, Sarah. It's like it's less than ideal, and they deal with the same thing in the Stanley Cup playoff where all of a sudden it's like, oh, the the, the Preds game is on CNBC? Oh, okay. Like, it's weird when you have right. to hunt these things down. Well, but it's a, not it's just the, that, but, but there's actually been local blackouts for a number of teams. The Nuggets fans have not been able to watch their teams in their own market because of blackout rules that have made absolutely no sense because of arguments with DirecTV or Altitude Sports or whatever. So a lot of illegal streams have been the only way for fans of their team to get to watch them in the playoffs. It's been incredibly antiquated, some of the ways that the NBA has run this, whether it's counter-programming or, as I said, in certain areas, you can't even watch your own team. Which is one of the... Just maddening parts of when we see all of the conversation about NBA ratings. Like, you got, if you're the NBA, this is one of the most frustrating things you could see. And we were joking about it last night, but if you're in the NBA front office right now, are you a little bit scared that you might end up with Utah versus Milwaukee in the final? I'm just saying that is not the ratings darling that everybody usually longs for in that situation. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next. The entire Grizzlies team joining them. Check them out. Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.